Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Brew Church Podcast. My name is Fabian. I am your host, and I'm glad that you are listening. If you would, please hit the plus button on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on Spotify as a way to help more people find this audio content. This audio is recordings from our Sunday gatherings. And if you would like to support what happens here on this podcast or in the Brew Church community in general, there's a giving button in the description of this. Uh, We hope that this is helpful for you and that you gain some good tools to lead to a life of abundance. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Hello there. Hello. It's very good to see you today. Um, I don't have a book out yet. Um, it's, it's being written, okay? Uh, but someday there will be a book, and someday maybe you'll want to buy it. Um, maybe you'll be intrigued by the title of Engaging the Gadfly. Uh, preaching in the digital age. So stay tuned for that. All right, I'm going to arrange myself here, um, get my notes. I'm going to use this music stand, and I have some books, some audio visuals, you know, for later. So um, thanks to Fabian for allowing me to speak on this, like, super fun topic that everybody really loves to discuss, like, when you're at home and with your family, at Thanksgiving, and all of those things, which is Christian nationalism. So, oh, boy. Uh, so how, how, did, how did this come to be that I was like, you know, Fabian, you know what I would really love to do at Brew Church is have a conversation about Christian nationalism? Um, what have I done? But, no, but seri- in all seriousness, this um, – really uh, brewed to the surface for me. (laughs) You're welcome. Um, On uh, January 6th. And I, I, so I am a worship professor. I'm a liturgical scholar. So I uh, study, teach the liturgical calendar. So uh, for those of you who may not be Christian or, uh, or be deconstructing or what have you, or brought up in certain churches, you may not know that there is this liturgical calendar, uh, which basically structures the year to tell the gospel story, to tell the story of who Jesus is, and to arrange readings and certain seasons of the church around that narrative and around that story. Um, And in many ways, it's it's, it's in a sense designing with intention a way of being in time and speaking to time that is um, alternative to other calendars, like alternative to what Hallmark says. No offense, Hallmark. My mom worked there, so thanks for food <laughs> and shelter. But, um, you know, the Hallmark holidays, its the church holidays are something else, and we're about to really approach, like, some big holidays soon, you know. But anyway, how many of you know what January 6th is in the church, Christian church calendar? Epiphany, and what happened? What does epiphany mean? What does epiphany mean? I have some of my seminary students here, so. What? A sudden thought? thought? It is kind of like that. It's like, aha, ooh, I had an epiphany. And the the reason why January 6th is the epiphany for the church is it's like the celebration of the day when, not when necessarily when Jesus was born, but when his divinity was recognized, like, aha, there's something about this baby that is different. The magi come and they're like, aha, this is no ordinary baby. And, and the King Herod's like, say what now? And 
Um, but it's about a revealing. And it, in its origins, it has something to do with competing loyalties. And who's the authority? And who has power? And on January 6th of 2021, an epiphany occurred on epiphany. And I think for a lot of folks, particularly white Americans, it was an aha moment, especially ones who are in a particular side of the uh, echo chambers, right? Because we've all been separated. How many of you have heard of the phrase echo chamber, right? Right, so this is, this is truly the algorithms that divide us and we don't all get the same information and news and interpretation of the news. So for some of us maybe who are white and watch CNN and like um, are given certain people on Twitter to follow, no idea of just how deep the problem of Christian nationalism is and was until that day. And one of the things that really shocked me um, as a Christian, as a scholar, um, is this particular image. And I know we, I, we don't have screens here, so close your eyes <laughs> and <laughs> see with me um, the painting of blonde, blue-eyed Jesus that your grandmother has had hanging up in her hallway, her foyer. Um, anyone? Just my grandma? Oh, wow. Oh boy, well, picture it anyway. But there, there was a, a certain group of gentlemen who were holding a very big version of this blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus painted in the 1940s with a MAGA hat on Jesus, painted on Jesus. Make America great again. And if that image doesn't speak to you of whoa, 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 Christian nationalism should not go together and in fact has really humongous risks, risks for us as Christians but also citizens of this country? Well, I hope you had an epiphany then. Um, so, <laughs> so before, so I'm very dialogical. So that, what that means, and I do this in my classroom, is I, like, I do want to hear from you. So anyone who feels like up for it what what did your group what did you overhear in your group what stood out to you from your dialogue about what images come to mind with christian nationalism just shout it out anything give me a word a phrase oh <laughs> that was that's a good one Yes, 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 yes. And I'm trying to, I can't remember exactly. Does anyone remember when that was actually put on our money? 54? I was like, it was not that long ago. It was the same decade that um, in the Pledge of Allegiance, um, One Nation Under God was added because Under God was not originally in the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> Slippery slopes. Um, so that's a great one. It's a great one. And it's on money, which is... A whole nother sermon. Uh, any, anything else that came out of the conversation? America is a Christian nation. That's a really interesting one, um, especially if you take a look at history, right? Because in some ways it might be safer, more correct to say it's a 
Protestant Christian nation, just thinking back to not very long ago, the persecution of being of Catholics, right? That there was a time when Catholics and especially Irish Catholics were like not Christians. So there's that complexity. Yes. What else? Anything else you want to share? White supremacy. Thanks for saying it. All right. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, absolutely. So I don't know how many, anyone, this would be a great book club book. Anyone read this, this here book, Jesus and John Wayne? Ah, yes, you see some books. Um, this was, this was a very helpful book for me. Um, cause listen up y'all. Um, I, uh, I am a recovering evangelical, non-denominational evangelical person. Um, thank you. Hmm. <laughs> Um, and so, um, I, I was in a pretty, I would say, middle of the road community of that world, but I still overheard and saw a lot of things that I was like, oh, I don't know if that, does that make sense? Faith? I'm not sure. Um, and so this book is very helpful and really gives a timeline, right, for how in, um, really just the last 100 years, Christian nationalism, not even that, I would, you know, 60 years, Christian nationalism has become what it, what we see on January 6th, right? Um, and the, and it, it is a braid, it's entangled with other isms, and white supremacy is absolutely one of them. And um, you all can, you, you know, there are some documentaries you can watch, but <laughs> if you want to look into the, the um, designs and the kind of narrative of Jerry Falwell, um, how many of you really know how he got his start with, um, especially with starting uh, private schools, Christian schools? When did that happen? Anyone know? It happened when desegregation started. And it was a very intentional designed white flight under Christianity of education. And that's Liberty University's origins as well is all caught up in that. And it's really interesting to also <laughs> study, I'm gonna talk more about liturgy here in a minute, but to also study how Liberty University has become like the hot spot for certain politicians to show up and talk at this Christian university, right? And But are all politicians invited or just a certain kind who support Christian nationalism, right? So that this is the unveiling, right? This is this is something that we um, are seeing, and it's been heightened and very intense in the last uh, uh, ten years or so, I would say. But it's been brewing a long time. Um, so <laughs> my colleague in Nashville, um, Reverend Lindsey Crink, she says she said this just this week. Um, she said, "Christian nationalism isn't a problem; it's idolatry." Um, and so that's where, again, I come back to my studies of the history of worship, right? One of the things that Huso Gonzalez in The Story of Christianity, a, a, a history text on the story of Christianity, talks about is just how radical it was for early Christians um, to take up certain practices, rituals, liturgies that ordered their life that were in opposition to empire, 
And one of those things that was a big deal was the fact that they would not burn incense in their homes before the image of the emperor, of Caesar. That they refused to do that because who is the one who is <laughs> only one worthy of worship for the early church? Jesus, right? And there's a very clear sense, even though, of course, I mean, <laughs> if you <laughs> watch Jesus Christ Superstar, you know, like, some people really wanted, like, Jesus to be a nationalist. Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> Andrew Lloyd Webber got it right. Um, but I'm sure that that's, I mean, that's for real, right? Like, there's always, a, you, there is no pure story <laughs> or lineage in Christianity where we got it all right and we're not tempted to replace devotion to God and a life ordered um, in the way of Jesus Christ with devotion to politicians, politics, power, money. It's always there. It's always there. So good news, you're not alone. We are not alone. We, we are not unique. Um, but we really need to be alert, right, to, to what, how it's manifesting today um, in our country. Um, but part of your baptismal vows, right, so... Um, baptism is a ritual of initiation into uh, the way of Jesus. And in the early church, um, some of the earliest doctrine that you really have is in Galatians chapter 3. Um, and in Galatians chapter 3, there's my Bible right there. I'm going to get the verse. Um, <laughs> in the verse. Sorry, Bible. I just, you're really hard to hold right now. But, I, you know, we're, we're cool. I don't worship you, though. I worship God. Um, but in Galatians, uh, <laughs> that's another one. Um, but in Galatians, uh, it says, in Christ, through the waters of baptism, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or servant. There is this notion that an alternative family kingdom is being built through the waters of baptism. And in, in Rome, I mean, this is a very big deal because it was a very hierarchical, structured society. The, the head of the household, the father, ran things, and, the, and below him uh, is the wife, and below them are the children, and, you know, Aristotle, et cetera, et cetera. But what was so radical about the way of Jesus was, like, literally the waters of baptism were supposed to wash all of that away. And the liturgy of gathering together for common meals, um, sometimes daily, but at least on Sunday, which was not a holiday, which was not a day off in Rome. It was just a normal work day. And so you would show up in the morning and you would sing praises to God. You would go to work. You would come back and you'd bring all like a potluck, this amazing potluck. And you would sing songs together and you'd be sitting with people who you, you were not allowed to sit at table with under the polite manners of Roman culture. It was an alternative way of being. And what I worry about so much as a Christian, as a scholar of liturgy and worship is the way in which Christian nationalism kind of brings back another hierarchy. Um, and so from the, from the Christian faith side, here's what scares me about it, right? is that it, it, it can really create this us versus them way of being in the world. And when you operate in an us versus them way of being, it promotes anxiety and fear, right? How do we as humans act when we're afraid and scared and anxious? 
Just shout it out. How do you how do you act? Defensive? Yes. What? Chocolate. Hmm. I'm gonna have to think about that one. Um, but now I'm hungry, so thank you. Um, yeah, I eat chocolate when I'm nervous. <laughs> so you're seeking some sort of comfort. I'm gonna take this. And you're looking for comfort, and what is <laughs> one of the things that happens is you're looking for certainty instead of mystery. Hmm. So what often happens in this sort of us versus them worldview that's created through Christian nationalism, the algorithms like this digital world we're in, no matter how you vote actually, we all can be prone to this fearfulness and reactionary way of being in the world and looking for certainty through a political party or you know, ideology rather than mystery. And this is why it can be so hard then to have conversations. Just conversations with people who don't see the world in the same way that you do, right? Because now all of a sudden it's automatically us versus them. And so anything that you might say to me that challenges my loyalties politically is a threat instead of an invitation. And when that gets into the church and we add God to the mix, then it's very easy to slip into a world where there are certain heretics and then there are certain people who are right no matter what they do or act or say just because God said they're anointed. And there's no space for transformation, for correction, for saying, oh, I'm sorry, I was wrong about that. Will you forgive me? I forgive you, you forgive me, which is like the fundamental liturgy of the early church, right? To say, wow, every time you come to this table, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, do not partake in this feast until you make sure you're cool with everybody here in this room. No pressure, but could you imagine that? Like, should we do that right now? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Fabian's like, oh, okay. Dr. Sigmund, knock it off. Um, but, but that is for real. That was the, that's the original liturgy of the way of Jesus. And it allowed space for people to change and transform. And what I am scared about with Christian nationalism is it doesn't allow for that. For the country, right? But also for Christians and Christianity. So that, that worries me. Okay. I want to leave room for more conversations. So I'm going to see what, what I must bring up here before I hand the mic back over to y'all. Um, I do, I do think that is important, right, to be a good citizen. So let me say that, right? Um, there certainly are some Christians who are more sectarian, and again, that's been throughout history, where they would say, I'm just like not involved in politics and I'm not gonna vote, and I'm not gonna do this, I'm just not gonna participate. And that's one way, that's a way. But my, my theology, right, is that uh, we need to collaborate and be in community. And so I'm always asking, uh, how can I vote and participate in my, my city, right? Kansas City, my mayor, Quinn Lucas. Like how can I be in communication with them, not, uh, 
not like idolizing them and like, oh, whatever you do is right. But when something's hurting my neighbor, right, when I see tenants who are getting kicked out of their homes because rent is just raising without any cap while wages are falling, right, then I say to my mayor, to my city council, this is a problem. And it's not just because, you know, it's in part because I'm a Christian who believes that um, in the hierarchy things, it's of things, it's love of God and love of neighbor. That is to me what Jesus taught. So I have to live in that way. And for me, that means I have to be involved civically um, to try to help my neighbors be well and flourish, right? Um, So it's about a hierarchy that puts God right up top instead of any politician or any party, right? That is like the antidote to Christian nationalism, one of the antidotes to Christian nationalism. Nation is not ending, it's only beginning. We've ripped off the Band-Aid. We can talk about Christian nationalism. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, we're about to wrap things up for now here, but I would love, like, is there any, like, any, like, burning urgency to report out one of the things that came out through your group in this last bit of conversation? Anyone? Like, Christian nationalism is or is not, and the band can start coming up while I'm blathering away here. Or not. Yes. Oh, yes. It's so, if you didn't hear it, Christian nationalism is stagnant and never changing. And that's really great. So um, I always tell my students that there's this difference between tradition and traditionalism, right? And this is from Pelican, not from me. And it's not a Pelican. It's a historian. Anyway, um, (laughs) a bird talked to me and told me. (laughs) No, (laughs) tradition is the living faith of those who have died, right? Traditionalism is the dead faith having authority over us, and we don't get to talk back at all. And I, yes, that's what Christian nationalism is. Like, there's no talk back. It's the authority. You trust it. You follow it. End of story. Yeah. Anything else? It really is, especially given, like, how entangled white supremacy um, theologies that said it's totally okay to own another person and steal them and strip them of their humanity when again what did what does Galatians say there is no longer slave there's no longer like and yet boy oh boy we can't talk about America without talking about that Uh, we can't talk about Reformation Protestantism without that Fabian am I coming back to talk (laughs) please (laughs) no thank you um somebody else uh but yeah that's yes that is powerful Yes, thank you. Anything else? Well, it's been a delight to be with you all and to learn with you all. Thank you so much. Um, I'll be thinking of all of you as you go to to Thanksgiving and you gather around (laughs) tables and you might giggle to yourself as something is spoken by someone in your family and you just can maybe feel a little more emboldened to speak the truth, your truth, um, and to not live out of fear, but to follow mystery and curiosity and see what transformations could happen. So thank you all. Thank you for listening to this episode. Peace and blessings, everyone.